Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the latest edition of Craig Houston Talks To, and in this edition, we've got well-known journalist Gary Ralston. Gary, thanks for coming in. No, no worries at all, Craig, and it's great to be back to where it all started for me at Fur Hill. In, um, in what way? Well, I, my claim to fame is that I became, in 1983, the youngest player ever to sign for Partick Thistle, so there you go. Um, the... I've still got the Evening Times cutting. Eddie McCulloch, the Chief Scout, says we've signed the new Mo Johnson. And you want to know something? About six months later, I was selling knockoff tracksuits for the back of that as well. So, um, so yeah. So obviously, I, I, I never, I never made it here as a player. But it's lovely to return to the uh, uh, to the to the old stadium and speak to your good self. And what when you say the youngest? What age were you? I was only thirteen. Remember, this was the day before pro youth, you know. So it was uh, S forms, and you had to be thirteen to sign an S form. So, um, so I. I, I I think I was about a month, uh, you know, September '83. I'm, 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 my birthday was July, so uh, so that was that was a headline at the time. Uh, this will make the youngest ever signing. So, um, but as you probably well know from your own experience, Scottish youth football back in that stages it was far less structured than it, uh, than, it, than, it than it was these days. You know, but I do remember getting three pounds a week in uh, in expenses and uh, Davy Moyes senior coming up to my, my house just up the road in the mountain to give me sixteen weeks of wages that hadn't been paid. So um, I so it was um, fish suppers all around that night. Well, like a million every sixteen weeks worth Unbelievable of wages. Unbelievable coming for the mountain with forty eight quid. I was ready to move to Las Vegas. <laughs> so. Uh, normally we'll just start in chronological order, so we've jumped a wee bit ahead. So introducing yourself, Gary, is a wee bit about um, you know where you were maybe brought up, and, you know your early years up to you started uh, uh, getting involved with journalism. I, I, as I said, I, I, I come just from from up the road there and uh, up the road in the mountain. It, football crazy as a, as, a, as a kid, as, as as most of us were, and um, yeah, um, I, and I, and I had a yearning if I couldn't be a football player, then the next next best thing um, to do was to uh, was to, to to write about it. Um, and so when I when I was 
17 at the end of my fifth year. I did a, a previous uh, wee stint as a, a, a childhood actor as well um, on the uh, on the BBC. Um, so it was kind of acting or um, or kind of media journalism, and I, and, I, and I decided to go uh, into the uh, into the journalism world, um, or you know, get my degree through still in university. And from that, four years, my first job was as the uh, um, or the first full time job that I had was with the, the Rangers News uh, back in the early nineties. Um, great, um, you know, and a, 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 a really great um, um, education in, 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 in sports journalism, as the Rangers News and the Celtic View were for, uh, for, for young journalists at the time. Can he not drag you back to this child actor career? What happened there, Gary? Listen, well, I, I, I tell you, I, as I said, just up the road, we went to school, and my school was uh, it was Colson Secondary. Um, unfortunately, uh, um, long since gone, uh, housing in its place, um, suspicious fire, um, burned, the, uh, burned the old A block down there. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with that narrative as well. Um, but one day, a, a woman appeared at the school, Margie Barber. She was a director from the BBC, and she said, we're casting for a a, a, a a play in BBC uh, for BBC national television you know the 10 past five slot the kind of Grange Hill slot um and she says and so we need a kind of untried Glasgow actor and so it was like do you know it was the football equivalent of going from the um the the preliminary rounds of the Champions League all the way to the final and then getting to lift, lift the trophy because she was going around all these Glasgow schools and one by one I oh, like you come back come back come back and then eventually they said do you fancy you know, the, the role's yours. So me and my, uh, my old mum, um, uh, God love her, we get three weeks in London um, to record, rehearse and record this um, this play, which was called Sticks and Stones. And um, I'll never forget, my mum was delighted because one of the weeks we had to rehearse and it was at the North Acton Rehearsal Rooms, uh, which was owned by the BBC. And we were rehearsing next door to um, Open All Hours. So every day we were sitting down for lunch with David Jason and Ronnie Barker. So it was great. My mum loved it. And when we were doing the, the a week of filming in the BBC studios, as they were at the time, Top of the Pops was getting recorded next door. Tucker's Luck met Todd. Todd Carty eh, from Grainshill as well, and eh, and a, a a week out in the out in the road filming as well around White City, around about Warnwood Scrubs. So it was great, and it was shown, you know, edited, cut, and put on put on about nine months later. And um, it was introduced at ten past five by a guy called Philip Schofield and Gordon the Gopher. And I often wonder what. <laughs> Ah, what happened to the guy Schofield, eh? Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was me and, and did wee bits of acting when I was a kid, which was all, you know, great fun. Um, so, you would have been... But th yeah. I was about 15, 16, um, and, and did it for a couple of years, the usual. It's like River City these days, kind of wee bits in Taggart and stuff like that. I didn't play a dead body, unfortunately, <laughs> um, and other wee bits and pieces. But then, as I said, come the end of my fifth year at school, 16, 17... <laughs> The kind of crossroads and I, and I really decided I, I had my heart set and going to Stirling University it's the area in which I, I still love just because the you know it was far enough away from home to be to be close enough to it uh, away up there to, to to study and um and and just follow my my, my love of football and writing so you were studying what was a course in but journalism fil or? film and media studies was the uh, was was the degree up there a, a really popular po uh, um, a course and, and has produced quite a lot of um uh, quite a lot of decent people from it so it was very highly rated um, and uh, as I said, from there I got my my first break, um, and, and and that was in the the, the Rangers news back in '91. It would have been it was Greggy, John Greg that interviewed me for the job, and and, and so it was Greggy that, that offered me my my first job in journalism. That must have been a nervous interview for a Rangers fan. 
I know exactly, you know, and I still have images of Greggy sitting there. No love me for saying this, but sitting with his feet up on the table. Not when he was interviewing me, but he, he would come in when he was bored because he was still involved in the kind of commercial side. And whenever he had a, a, a fly 10 minutes, he would always come in and pinch one of Donna or Secretary's cigarettes and, uh, and sit with his feet up on the table and regale us with, with, with tales of his glorious past. So what an education that was as well for a, for a, for, for a blue nose. It was, it was fabulous. So how long were you at the Rangers News? I was at the Rangers News for about two years um, and it coincided um, fortuitously with that brilliant 92-93 season. Um, so I got to cover that first season in the in, in the Champions League. Because I come from this kind of north side of the uh, the city, um, I was pally and played in the same Glasgow schoolboys side as uh, Gary McSwiggan um, in, in Glasgow West. And so to see Swiggy going on and making a you know making a name for itself at, at that level filled me with absolute pride. But it shows you as well, Craig, just how much the media has changed. Do you know? And and, and I reflect back on this and think of how fortunate I was. I was actually in the team bus the night Rangers played CSK Moscow in Bochum. Um, the morning of that game, I'll never forget it because I'm obviously working for the Rangers News. Um, and so what says, right, coming to the team bus. And in the morning of the game, the players were supposed to go for a leg stretch. We were staying, if I remember, in the Sheraton Hotel at Essen. And uh, the players were supposed to go for a leg stretch at a local sports stadium. Um, and when the bus turned up, there was nobody there to open it. And uh, the gate was padlocked. And so Walter, you know wasn't happy let's just say and so the team bus just turned around went back to the hotel and so on the day of that game because players sometimes like a wee loosen up a wee limber the players just loosened up for that game which we won 1-0 remember Ian Ferguson's um, Ian Ferguson's strike and um, played in uh, Germany because obviously yeah. Moscow was, 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 was snowbound at the time the, 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 the pre-match build up to that game was in a wee square of grass in front of that Essen Hotel, uh, Sheraton Hotel in, 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 in Essen. Um, and from that, that team went on to get a, a, a result, which I think really kind of set the, the standard for that uh, for, for, for that season. And the thing that I remember about the team bus was just the absolute privilege of being there. I can still remember John Brown, the song, I'm convinced it was Honky Tonk Woman by the Rolling Stones, was being blaring out from um, uh, from the from the, 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 the speakers. And Bomber was up hanging the ceiling. And I tell you, I was on the verge of saying to Walter, you know, I was never mind the players getting pumped up. I was getting pumped up myself. I was always ready to ask Walter and Archie if they'd give me a set of boots and put me on the bench. It was um, but a wonderful experience, you know. This is before days. the game. It's before the game, I, you know, just going through all the crowds, just kind of going through the crowds, getting into the stadium. You know, the players are getting psyched up. And as I say, that was Bomber, you know, just, uh, you know, you know what Bomber's like. I love him, my favourite Rangers player ever. But he was just, you know, just getting up for it, you know, pow, 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 pow. and it was honky-tonk women by the Rolling Stones that was, uh, that was, um, that was, that was, that was going large in the background. Amazing. You said you were there for two years? About two years then, yeah. That's great. I, you know, for the, you've been what, 22 then? 21, 22. And you know, Craig, I've reflected on this, and maybe only recently now that I'm in my, my early fifties myself. We used to do a thing every week um, in the program. It was, I'm not saying it was my idea, but I thought, you know, how do we liven up the program? So I made a point every week of going and interviewing an old Rangers player, you know, and just sitting down and getting their stories. And I was thinking back the other day, and it was players like George Young, Ben Woodburn, you know, Willie Woodburn, Tiger Shaw, Adam Little, Jim Baxter. 
So, so probably the last interviews that those guys, and I remember them going to, going to interview um, Wally Woodburn in, in Edinburgh, lovely home, him and his missus, and, 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 and Ben was was just kind of on the cusp there of, 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 of dementia. Um, but there were still real moments of clarity there, you know, just talking about his career and, and, and what have you. And before, sadly, he, he would, you know, slip again and, and, and lose his train. But it was an absolute privilege. George Young went to see him at Grangemouth. And, and I don't know if a lot of people don't know that, that George was kind of estranged from Rangers for a, for a number of years. Um, but Bob Riley was a commercial manager at the time. Bob says, here, listen, Gary, take up some kind of crystal chandelier or whatever. No, a chandelier. Yeah, crystal Can't glasses be. or whatever they can't. Um, you know, with the Rangers crest on it. You know, take, take, take them to George, bottle of whiskey or whatever it was. And George was in a wheelchair and his speech was, was quite poor at the time. Um, sadly, he died shortly afterwards. But I like to think that we played a wee part in kind of... Um, healing about the the wounds, the very fact that he'd agreed to to speak to me as well um, was great because, as I said, there was an estrangement between George and Rangers at the time. I don't know the context of the uh, the, the the background of it, but um, but it was it was it was it was quite um, humbling to be part of that kind of um, you know that 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 healing process. I, I, I hope maybe because I, I think he enjoyed speaking and and, and regaling his ways times, you know. Aye, and also for these guys, if it's towards the end of their, their lives, unfortunately, and it probably was up for a lot of them the last time somebody sat them down, Aye. there would be things getting committed to record that would maybe never have got committed to record if that project hadn't taken place. And I would love to go back and look at those programmes. As I said, the match day programmes from the 92-93 season, <laughs> there may not be one there, although I think it was the previous season just before I, uh, I joined, is that uh, Rangers were, I'm sure they were playing Aberdeen, and it might have been that um, that 91 game, the, the league decider. And uh, and I know that a week or so before the game, um, the editor, and I'm not going to name him, but still a pal of mine, he get in touch, a London marketing company get in touch with him and says, look, we'd like to put an advert in your match day programme. So he's like, ah, no problem at all. He says, um, you know, the rates, whatever it is, £1,500 plus that. No problem at all. Um, we'll send up the artwork. So artwork came up, you know, page nine or whatever it was of the programme, and he put it in. No problem. Whether they thought about it or not, I don't know. The programme was printed. Usual, but 10, 12, 13,000 co uh, copies of the programme at that time were printed. And they always arrived on a Friday afternoon. So the copies arrived, and you always put them out to the executive board, you know, Campbell and all that was always very keen. Campbell Ovi, always very keen to see the, the programming. So <laughs> we took the programme over to Campbell and and Campbell's the most placid, mild, mild mannered, um, um, evenly tempered man you've ever met. He was going mental. What's this on page nine? What's this on page nine? He's saying, says, oh, it's, it's an advert. Says, Have you seen the advert? It was for the Robbie Coltrane movie that he just put out at the time. The Pope must die. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that comes, this, this, these, <laughs> must be pulled. Must be. So, oh. so the word came down from on high. So every single one of those thirteen thousand copies was pulped. But I know that there are still one or two of them in existence. They must be worth a fortune. And the very next day, there was a program shortage because you know obviously we couldn't get another twelve or thirteen thousand printed. Um, you know, they could only print a couple of thousand copies. I said, hey, why can I know about Oh, sorry. Must be the demand of the game. 
but that's what it was, the Robbie Coltrane movie. <laughs> the Pope must die. Imagine taking the ad that, for that. Eh? Well, to be fair, we probably just got it for the production company or something, never gave it too much, but you thought somebody would have noticed. There was, a, there was obviously it was a sharp-eyed, um, and they, they would have got a story out of it, because I think the, the record did pick up in the story, but they would have got the story one way or the other. You know, either Rangers knocked back the advert or the advert, or the advert appeared. So there was always a few, uh, there was always a few uh, um, uh, moments to, 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 to be back on. To be fair, see, for 1500 quid or whatever it was at the time, if that had went into the mainstream media at the time, you couldn't have bought the adverts for that. I I think Rangers declined to comment or denied that it had happened, but take it for me, it it, it, it did happen, you know. But um, aye, it was. um, You'll know when this goes out, have loads of people going into their wee box of programs looking for that one. See if the what's on page nine. Listen, you know, it was unlike today when obviously the, the particularly the major clubs have got much bigger uh, media teams. I know they're probably still know the, the sizes that they would like, but you know there were two or three of us operating out the, the wee office at the back of the uh, the back of the government at uh, Argyle House. So you know we would make mistakes, or or mistakes would slip through all the time. You know, I remember Willie Johnston. You know, a biography of Willie Johnston instead of Lahore uh, Miners Welfare and Fife, we had them as Lahore miners' welfare, you know, for India. You know, Richard Goff's favourite musician was John Armour Trading rather than uh, rather than Joan, you know. Um, but these things happen all the time. I, I worked for the Daily Express. I remember filing a match report to, um, uh, by copy taker, you know, when you used to have to pick up the phone and you would speak to someone down in England, you know, and they would they would be typing your words as you're speaking it and in the fifth minute, blah, blah, blah. And the next day, it was a Rangers game at Morton. I remember it. It was a testimonial, a pre-season friendly, and McCoyst had popped up with a couple of goals, 3-1-1 for Rangers or whatever it was. It was a, one of the, the boy Bogue, I think, that played for Morton. And, uh, and the next day in the Express, it was um, Ali McCoyst, but Ali was spelled A-L-I. So it was our new... <laughs> <laughs> the new Rangers Middle East striker Ali McCoy. You know? Ali Bin McCoy. Aye. The, 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 listen, I'm no hogging it. The best one of that was there was an old. Um, you remember that Rangers had a PR executive way back in the day, very controversial figure. I know Alec Ferguson ripped him to shreds in his autobiography. Willie Allison. Willie's brother Bobby Allison was the uh, evening news reporter through in Edinburgh, uh, or he worked through there, and he couldn't pronounce his his, his R's. So he was a so he was. Um, you, basically his patch was Hibs and um, and Hibs had played one game in the early 70s and he was on his copy taker and he's given him the match report and at the end it was an English woman she says to him okay Bobby that's lovely I just need your man of the match now and so Bobby's saying um, yeah he says uh, Jimmy O'Work and she's saying sorry love he says Jimmy O'Work and she's saying yeah yeah I've got the Jimmy what's the surname love he said O'Work O'Work oh for orange a poor for foy, ah for what? She says some sort. Sorry, love. You say oh for what? And she says I can't make out. Ah for what? Poor for foy, ah what? Poor for foy, ah for what? And she says I can't make out. Just and he told her just said ah oh, fuck it. He says make it past Stanton. <laughs> Did he take a bottle of champagne back off him? Brilliant. Bobby Allison was great. Um, was a. A great um, doyen. I, I loved him to bits. Ian Paul, known as Dino, he used to be a, a great Dean Martin um, a, a fan, and Ian wrote for the Herald for many years. Ian said the story once about how he was at the press club in Glasgow. He turned up near Christmas for a drink one evening to find Bobby and his missus all, all dolled up. And he says, Bobby, he says, oh, you're looking great. He says, where are you off to? And Bobby says, I'm, I'm going to Awadden. And he says, great. He says, who's getting married? He says, no. He says, not Awadden. He says, Awadden. Awadden and his wonderful wamp. He was off to the press fund pantomime. So there you go. 
So, well, see the, the couple of years you're in the, the Rangers uh, news as a as a young young budding journalist. What was your highlight at that time? What would be your favourite event or or, or or memory from that time? I I, I think for me, being growing up in a Rangers fans, it was it was, and even at that stage, you knew that it was a special team. You know that ninety two ninety three team, um, are for me that still my, my my favourite Rangers Rangers team of all time. And getting just to touch the cloth in them, if you like, um, and just be in the the fringes of, of that season in a very very small way, um, was exceptional. I mean, I remember, um, you know, Walter used to, to uh, soon as first, obviously with Walter, and then Walter continued the tradition. Of taking them to Old Chioco, you know, up in the Tuscan Hills, which was a magnificent, uh, I mean, it's a Marriott resort now. Did you get to it? Yeah. I did, I am out a couple of times, and um, honestly, um, Goffey had said that the team that drinks together wins together. I'm not sure you would get away with that uh, these days, but I know exactly what, it, what, it, <laughs> what he means, because again, we were allowed to go. Uh, Walter worked them like Trojans for the, for the five or six days. It was a Saturday to Saturday trip, and uh, Walter worked them so hard. I mean, these boys were out two and three. I mean, they're fitness was really set from those sessions, you know, two, three sessions um, at, at altitude as well, as well. But he always gave them the Friday night off and they always went to two places. He always went to the uh, Apple Bar and they always went to the Skylab, I think it was called, which was the nightclub. Um, and there were two great guys at Il Choco. I saw them in Parma uh, a few years ago when uh, Advocab was the manager. They were still turning up to support Rangers called Lenny and Bruno, two local guys, and they ran it. And I can never, we, we arrived back early, me and Michael, the photographer, Michael Schofield, um, from the night out. And so we were just sitting about the reception and um, and I can just remember the word going up from the um, <laughs> from the, the kind of night porters or whatever. He says, oh, they're on their way back. They're on their way back. You know, and it was just Lenny and Bruno and all the staff just running behind the bar to, <laughs> to take all the, all the, ball, all the <laughs> balls and put them in the shots, didn't you know? Because, I mean, they were, they, were, they, were, they were demons, you know? And if they're five days away, six days away, they were away in the, away in the two, and, but Walter was always very good, and in fairness, so were the players. Right, bed back to the hotel, straight to your bed. You know, but I think if temptation had been there in the <laughs> in the, the, the the realm of an open bar, uh, I think they would probably still be sitting there till six or seven uh, in the morning. The boys obviously learned these ways, though, because it, this is probably five or six visits to El Choco in. So the I, first couple oh, of years, they oh, probably oh, get oh, caught out I, of that I, one. I, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And it was just, um, yeah, um, Bomber, I think the reason I like Bomber is they saved me once from uh, being thrown out the bus. As I said, going to these places and, uh, you know, this Apple Bar, Skylab, whatever it was. I think it was this Apple Bar first in the Skylab. So beers had been downed and then you had to kind of, it was like that kind of induction thing. You had to sing a song and uh, Ian Durant it was says to me, right, Gary, up the front, you've got to sing a song. And I'm like, oh, come on, you know, I'm 21 years old, you know, I'm stars in my eyes with all these, uh, all these players. And he said, no, I'm sing a song. So with this Flower of Scotland or something like that, Durant was not happy. Eh? So he's like that to the, the, the bus driver, stop, stop, stop. Oot, oot. <laughs> <laughs> On the middle of Italy, right? I don't, don't even know. Middle, middle right? I've not got a penny in my pocket, right? So oot, oot. And he's, he's the driver opens the door, and I'm and, and, and I'm watching it and put out the bus. And all the players are going, Aah! you know. And then Bomber steps up, Geranti, sit down, Gary, come in. Here's just 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 get your seat. We'll be there in ten minutes, you know. And that and that was Bomber. I, I love Bomber, oh. so I, I, I owed him for that. Great times, great times, great team, you know. I know Bomber's uh, Bomber was one of my heroes on the park, and then when I got to know him, unfortunately through the. Efforts with Sons of Struth, and I got to know him uh, personally. He's just he's a top, top man. He's one of the most loyal 
people are, have ever met, um, solid, good pal, and I don't think he would ever do anybody who's, who's on me a bad turn. Let me, let me tell you something about Bomber as well in that period, and we touched on it in the in the introduction, he was very gracious enough to write me the um, the foreword to the 150th anniversary edition of the Gallant Pioneers. John Brown stood up to be counted, and uh, um, I, I, I don't mean to knock them, um, and I don't mean to be too controversial, but there are a lot of Rangers players, ex-Rangers players, who could have stood up, who should have stood up, and who did not stand up. Bomber, maybe Ian Ferguson, the ex-Dundee United and Hearts Ian Ferguson, maybe we Nacho. Yep. There were very few of them stood up. And I think at that time, what a signal or what a, yeah, just what a message that would have sent had more of them not teamed up together and said, you know what? This is what's happening to our club yeah. is unacceptable. Well, what happened me and Bomber? I had I had asked a few Rangers players, ex-Rangers players, to come and help us when we were starting to get a bit of um, momentum in the press. And I was trying to get these guys to go uh, and say stuff. And I met a few of my heroes. And one by one, they were like, mm, it's not really for me. And then I met Bomber. And then when I met Bomber, Bomber was working still with Dundee at the time. And I met him at a function, and I thought, I'm going to chance my arm here. And I went, Bomber, I'm Craig for Sons of Truth. I know who your son. Could you do me a favour? How about is it? I says, could you stand beside me for maybe a, a, a PR stuff that we're doing? And he looked and he went, I'd love to, son. But I've already had three written mornings off Dundee. <laughs> saying things in the paper and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he says, I've got a job. And I said, you know something, mate? Thanks very much, because you're the third or fourth player I've asked, and the first one that's been honest with me. Mm -hmm. And within weeks, I got a phone call off a mutual pal saying, Bomber wants to speak to you. And I thought, shit, what have I done? And he said to me, I'm there for you. Anything you want me to do, anything you want me to say, anybody you want me to talk to, you let me know. And that was it. As soon as Bomber came on, Rangers fans would believe him far more than you believe that stranger that was trying to tell them all these horrible things about their club. Um, and, you know, to, as a man, you can't beat that. I remember the record. Remember, I think he, he, you were there, he, the record. I was working for the record at the time. Um, and and uh, the bandits, Rangers bandits, for Ibrox, I think it was a Friday night game against Hearts um, or Hibs. It was a championship season anyway. I think it was Hearts. And... Um, <laughs> Big Andy Smiley, let it be known that as a favour, I knew Andy going back a few years anyway. Um, <laughs> just come, come, you come, come, come and sit, come and, come and sit with me and the members. Get your shirt and tie on, Gary. Come and sit with me and uh -huh. the members and see what they say. <laughs> and so the record went from being banned to being right in there at the uh -huh. front door at Ibrox. And we turned up at the front door. Bomber was there. You know, and yourself, and there was a crowd at the front door, and um, and you know that, that says a lot to me about, about Bomber's character because it did compromise his managerial career. There's absolutely no doubt about that. You know, because he, he admitted himself that he became that, in the eyes of others, that kind of permanently angry Rangers man, um, which is a caricature of Bomber. You know, um, I mean, he's a warrior um, on and off the field, but um, but there's also a real kind of integrity. Bomber as well, but it did. Excuse me, it did compromise his managerial career, and I think that that's a great shame because um, Bomber had a, 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 had and still has a lot to offer the game, and as it's doing now, still at Rangers, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think um, 
people forget the, the technical um, brain. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a coach with the successful Rangers under twenty ones and has now B teams and managed it to you know a decent level. And I think it's a shame that I don't say it's a shame. He's a scout because it's a good, oh, yeah, yeah. good bit of input he's got there. But I think there's probably more to him. And as you say, I there's now when people think of John Brown, they think of the guy with the bright red hair and protesting at Ibrox. And before Sons of Struth, he's even a thing came out and told everybody when he was working at Ibrox under Craig White, came to the door and they went, he's having a laugh. And it cost him his job then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, probably fortunate he even got to Dundee after that. But he did, and then, you know, um, I came along and he started he started phase two of that, and it was brilliant. I mean, yeah. I, my favourite bomber uh, story, I was talking to somebody about it just last week, he, um, my dad's funeral was in the, the members the, after it. And we turned up, and the receptionist, we Liz, came over. Craig, I'm really sorry as I tore up the stairs, because the, the reception was packed. As it's all right, we're early. Oh, it's just it's a funeral. And there's a tour on, and as soon as they get them down, you'll be straight upstairs. I was like, no rush, darling. Everybody's fine. Bomber comes in. Side of the move. It's grown here, bigging, right? I says, oh, there's a there's a tour on upstairs, bomber. They're gonna be a couple of minutes and they'll be back down the stairs. So that's funeral, that'll be right. Off he went, right? Are we up the stairs? I oh, did the tour guide. Aye, come on, come on, big Craig's last funeral. Come on, as you were. Them they throw them out, but he made the five minutes thirty seconds, and my cousins and all that are at the bottom of the stairs. That bomber's away up there, uh, an absolute gem, yeah, guy. Love bomber, but it's my favourite bomber. One of my favourite bomber stories is um, is the time when they were sitting. It was a steps bar in Glassford that involved Ali McCoy as well. Um, it was running about the Cheltenham time, and for some reason, Ali was wasn't doing it Cheltenham because you know how much he, he enjoyed it. And so, bomber who didn't know one end of the, a horse for the other, you know what he knew about horse racing. You could write in the back of a first class stamp. With a bingo marker, right? <laughs> so he picks five horses out the paper and he gives them, he gives a tenner to, to, to Ali and says, All right, go on, Ali, go and put them on, you know, an accumulator or whatever. And lo and behold, five of them come up. Serious. And it was, I, I'm, I'm no kidding you on, Craig. Um, <laughs> Bomber says it was somewhat a hundred grand, right? I'm, I'm, I'm he no won a hundred grand? No, 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 he didn't. He? Because he turns around and says to McCoy, My five horses have come up. <laughs> Ali kind of sheepishly says, he Never. I, I didn't put it on. <laughs> I had a look at your horse. Slips, 18 to 16 to one shots and 33 to one shot. You know, she had a look at it. Says, they were never going to come in. And I says to Bomber, so what did you say? Thank you, Dave. Send him in the bar for another. Thank you. Know. Oh, class. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. That's Bomber. You know. So uh, you, you're, you've done a couple of years at the, the Rangers News and the programmes and stuff. What happened next? What was your, your next well? Move then after started that? getting into the uh, started getting deep into the tabloid world. You know, we were working for likes of the Sun, the Daily Express, the Sun. Um, also had a stint working for the NFL, which was great fun. Out to San Francisco, working in, uh, as a director of communications for the Scottish Claymores in the NFL Europe League. But oh. going out to San Francisco to do kind of internship out there as well, which was fabulous. Great insight into communications, which has kind of led me back into the, the you know the, the comms world that I'm in now. Um, and and then, uh, and latterly, the biggest chunk of my career um, was was with the was with the record, which was good fun. Who states? A, a wise man once said to me, "Look, there's only one way to see the world." And I, I'd say this to any kid, any young person that's thinking about journalism: there's only one way to see the world, and that's to get somebody else to pay for it. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very, very flippant, but it's true. You know, if you want to see the world, get somebody else to get somebody else to pay for it. And sports journalism is a bit like driving taxis. It's not necessarily the work, but it's the people that you get to meet 
um, that, 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 that make it so wonderful. And so I can reflect back on my career and think, what a, what a wonderful time. You know, you've seen all corners of the world and um, it's been it's, it's been brilliant. You've managed to 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 be at the, you know, in, in some of the, 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 the greatest moments of Scottish sport and history as well, not just football. Um, and it, it's been wonderful. So how did you end up working? Do you say it was through the Scottish Claymores? When just that European Scottish league? Claymores, aye. Just through the European, uh, European League. I knew, um, I knew the, the general manager and I got an approach from him to say, look, do you fancy coming in to do comms? And at that point, I was a wee bit... Uh, I'd done my five years. A friend of the parish, Jack Irvin, had once said that you can do five years with the son before your health, your marriage or both begin to suffer. And back in the time, I mean, that's when it was, um, you know, it's thankfully, I, I think the tab, the nature of the tabloid press is, is probably a bit less stressful than it was then. So I'd done my four and a half years and I was just looking for a week and a change. And so that was a that was a perfect excuse. Still in sport, but it gave me an insight into another um you know into, into another sporting world um working with different athletes, working for an organization. I was in New York the other week and I was with my daughter and, and my old mum and, and my daughter was intrigued that we were walking along Park Avenue and I says that's the NFL's building up there. Um, it's the Deutsche Bank building next to Grand Central Station, but there's not a bit of brand on it. I says you would never know it's got the five floors up there. Um, but when you walk in, you would never know that it's the NFL because it's you know it's um it's it's just so subtle. But to work for an organization like the NFL um and see what it did. And I'm really proud because a lot of the stuff that we did and from a communications and a marketing perspective with the Scottish Claymores was uh, ha was and is still being um adopted by like so particularly the Scottish Rugby Union and also um, the Glasgow Warriors uh, as part of that. And also football clubs, things like fan zones, you know, bands playing before games, you know, um that kind of idea of kind of um um, um pre-match parties, pre-match get togethers, nothing new in it, but when we were we were really the first at the Claymores to do that. And a lot of pride that that unfortunately we could be, you know, we could only put ten thousand people into Hamden, which is still uh, but it's a but it's a big stadium to fill. Um but still we we introduced I think a lot of the kind of marketing and, and, and comms approach um to, to sport that 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 um that Scottish organisations um, decided to decided to adopt. It took them a while, but they they, they are now seeing the benefits of it. It's more about the the cost, you know, the, the supporter experience, um, as, as much as just turning up for a sporting event. What years would this have been that you this had? This was around about the year two, because we did the Super Bowl, the World Bowl in Glasgow, in around about two thousand and three, which was the European Super Bowl. Yeah. So it would have been around about two thousand to two thousand and three, and it was it, it was great um, to work with some of these um, some of these athletes, many of whom went on to win. The Super Bowl, or a couple of whom went on to win the Super Bowl. I was at the Super Bowl in 2008 when uh, the New York Giants beat the um, uh, beat the uh, the Patriots um, in Glendale in Arizona. And uh, the kicker for the for the the reason I was there, the kicker for the Giants is a Celtic fan, um, you know, whispering. Lawrence Tynes, he played for the Claymores, you know, and he was the the the, the kicker for the uh, for the New York Giants. And so to go to and then to get access to the locker room wow. ten minutes after the no. players had gone in. And to speak to the special teams coach Thomas McGaughey, whom I knew from um, an English guy, uh, American guy who had worked for us at the at the Claymores, he was a special teams coach for the Giants. It's it's, it's amazing. We guys like um, our defensive coach was a great guy called Jim Tom Sula, and Jim became the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, You know, so there's a so there's a lot of um, you know his his kids went to the wee school next to the the church just after the M8 when you're coming up to Charing Cross on the left hand yeah. side. You know, and you're thinking, you know. Oh, that's Jim, you know, he became the, the head coach of San Francisco 49ers, but um, 
but trying to take on Scottish football and, and win an audience in, in a very cramped environment was difficult. No, you've done well getting 10,000 if you, if you think about it. Aye. But see, so your career up until then was done uni, a couple of years with Rangers, then into the big bad world, the uh, um, newspaper world. And you've, you know, you've, you've been around the world a bit, you've, you've been all over Scotland, I would imagine most grounds at that point, seen how Scottish football works. And then getting introduced to the MFL, that must have just been a different level of professionalism and but it, comms. But, 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 it, but it was, and it gave me a real idea of how we should approach co uh, communications, you know, because we had to fight hard for our, for our um, you know, it, it frustrated me and it still does that a football team can bring a cut out of the Scottish Cup and invite the media along and, and they're all there. You know, at the Scottish Climbers, we had to, I still remember trawling up and doing the Chinese restaurants of um, uh, Sucky Hall Street to, to get, you know, those dragons. Mm -hmm. I needed a dragon because we were playing Barcelona Dragons. So I needed it for a picture, you know, um, so, so that we could illustrate it. Uh, you know, got a, a, a guy who was a fire um, a fire eater out for a picture, you know, because we were playing the Rhine Fire, you know, so we've got a wee kicker, you know, underneath them with a fire extinguisher, all that kind of stuff, you know, trying to make it an event, actually going to the media and saying, look, we've got a good story here to tell. You, you should maybe consider speaking to this guy. It's a real human... Um, human interest story here. I see parallels between, and we spoke about this off camera there, that um, I'm a real fan now of the Rangers women's team in particular. Uh, my daughter and I, Jennifer, she's 15, she plays football. Um, and, and so we go a lot to the to the, to the Rangers uh, women's, um, watch the Rangers women's team. Should have won the, la the league last year, but don't get me started. Um, but I see a lot of parallels between that NFL experience and the women's game in general in Scotland in terms of how you can grow it. And you've got to make your players um, accessible and interesting. You've got to allow them the space to tell their stories. And I'm not quite sure that Scottish football clubs are, and, and I'm, I don't just mean Rangers here, I mean just in general, and also the Scottish media, it has to be said, I don't think that this this there's quite that synergy there yet, you know, where you can go. Because I'm sure if you look at the Rangers team, there must be a million great um, um, uplifting stories there, inspirational stories for, for not just young women, but for sport in general. Um, but one is getting access to it. And then secondly, is getting the column inches within the, the newspaper itself or newspapers um, or online to actually be able to tell those stories. That's the challenge. Yeah, and as an outsider who's had a couple of three years of dealing with the press back in the, the protest, and that's how you and I get um, friendly. So I've got limited experience, but a bit of experience of how these things work. And, and I think the, the whole journalism thing, I think it's even changed for 2012-13 when I started seeing it, that if it's not a story that's landing on your lap, i.e. Rangers are playing on Saturday, Scotland are playing last night, there's these stories are creating herself. For anything out with that, it seems to be a load of people with access to Facebook and Twitter that fill papers or fill digital content for... for um, and, I, and I've seen that change even in the 10 years that I've had connections with, with newspapers. So is any worry? They're not going to get up off their ass and go to uh, Ock and Howie on a wet Tuesday to see if there's a woman outside there that they can chat to and, you know, fill, 
fill up you know a couple of columns. Yeah, a, a, a Twitter row has erupted. You know, two people say different things on Twitter, and suddenly it's um, you know it's in the paper. Or Andy Hardy, a guy that I like, but his misses, you know, is you know, you know, shows a leg in holiday and all this stuff. Aye. You know, it's. it's I, I remember it's, it's, it's it was something Davis. She ordered the Starbucks <clears throat> you know, and said yeah, something, and the next go. thing that was in the paper. You're like the one thing I learned about the Sun. Sun was a hard school, right? We had a sports editor there called Steve Wilson Croft. Wilson's so, still with us, you know, retired now, but um, um, and he knows he was called the Mad Jordy, right? Blythe Spartan fans never left the office, you know. Used to call him the the Eternal Flame. He never went out, right? But he just used to, it was it was Wilson that was responsible for things like Tally's four, Wally's one, you know, all that kind of stuff back in the day when the uh, Rangers were getting beat by uh, with Juventus and stuff like that. Um, but he he was he was a hard 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 taskmaster but he put in principles there um for young journalists and that's why i'm saying you don't work from for four or five years so you could take but principles that still stay with me and with others that i've worked with and um still um and i'll give you an example of that right remember the game when rangers all but sealed nine in a row i think one nil at celtic park when um paulo de Canio was threatening to break Ian ferguson's leg and fergie was saying to him I mean, it's man, Decano, you know fergie was saying to him you know doing a tunnel i'll see you at the end the story's well told um the following morning i was at that game working at a game so the following morning uh, wilson croft says to me well you're just going to have to go to celtic park he says and see what paulo de Canio was saying to this and i'm thinking to myself i says really because it you know these days, as we know, um, Ockenhowie, um, Lennox Town, Trinent, where Hibs are, or I am at Hearts, all these training grounds now, they're all, you know, you can't just walk up, but in these days you could. So I've taken the bravery pills because I knew I had to do it because if I, if I didn't, it would have gone through me, probably sacked me. So I turns up at Celtic Park, eh, and I'm kind of hanging about and I'm waiting in the canyon coming out back at 12 whatever and there's a you know there's a kind of maybe a dozen two dozen celtic fans about and you can tell you know that understandably um they're no happy their team's lost you know the rangers are going to match their their, their, their fabled nine in a row so so they're not really content so i see paulo coming out right so and i didn't really know him you know maybe knew him to say hello to him covered his uh, pre-season when he first arrived. So I goes to him and I says, Paolo, you know, Gary from I says, can you speak to me about the game yesterday, you know? And meanwhile, the, the security guy at Celtic's clock met the front door, you know, so he's going in to tell Tommy, Tommy Burns, um, you know, reporters out here with Paolo. So Paolo, being Italian, you know, starts throwing his hands up in the air. This, this number Ferguson, this Ferguson, this number three, or whatever number Fergie was wearing that day. She's not a nice man, you know, and then blah blah blah. And he says this, and, and for and, but number two, it was Craig Moore. He's he's a good guy. He's he's very sporting, you know, blah blah blah. But this Ferguson, blah. and so all oh, his his arms are going up. So meanwhile, and we're walking, we're walking and talking at this point, right? So we get to Paolo's car, and his arms are still up there, and he looks irate, which he was, but not with me. So in the meantime. <laughs> the Celtic fans, you know, I've, 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 I've seen what's happening. So they've slowly moved towards the car and I've started to shadow it. And a couple of the shouts have come in. If and I'm like, what's he fucking saying? They didn't know who I was, just knew that I was a poet. What's he fucking saying to you? And they were about to go to, go for me, to All be right. fair. The canio hats off to him, turns around and says, no, no, no. He says, please. I speak. I'm speaking to the journalist, you know, and then the, 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 the arms are up. But, but the, and then, Tommy had come out as well and says, Gary, what are you up to? Come on. I says, oh, they phoned later on. I says, Tommy, there's a gaffer that sent me. You know what it was like. But it, but we got a right good day back page and a, and a spread out of it. But um, but yeah, so 
I, I can't see a, a situation these days, maybe thankfully so, where young journalists would be sent into that kind of environment and basically told, right, are we going to get a, are we going to get a story or, yeah. or pretty much or else? So what was, um, you, you've done The Sun, then, uh, sorry, Express, Sun, NFL, then did you end up at the record after that? Ended up at the record after that, aye, um, and uh, just after my, my, my stint with the NFL, I was quite keen to get back into newspapers, and um, and I had the privilege <laughs> for what it was, I working with um, over in Hearts for a couple of seasons before Jim Trainer it was who brought Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Put me back over to the uh, to the west, but um, uh, you know, working with uh, um, Vladimir Romanov at Hearts, you know, that was that was always interesting. I remember he invited us all to Kaunas, maybe about six of us, seven of us, to interview him, and he says, oh, "I must show you my bank vault." And he took us downstairs, his big headquarters, and down the stairs we all went, you know. And he says, "In you go, in you go, in you go," you know. And uh, <laughs> we, were, we were all shiting ourselves because he's got, oh, "In you go, in you go," you know. And he's, he he could speak English fine, you know. But he just made a, a point of not doing it. So in you go, in you go, in you go. And um, and so I says, all right, and we go, right? So we went in, and we were expecting them just to right. shut the door behind us and lock us in and just walk away in, you know. We would have been discovered 10 years later as skeletons in the corner. But it wasn't like that, of course. Um, but he was a... It, you know, it was. I still maintain they, they took away that revolving door at Rickerton when they made it the, the Orion Centre, and I still maintain they should have taken that door and put it into the Scottish Football Museum because it seemed to me that we were there every bloody week. You know, if it wasn't a manager or if it was their player or whatever, just chasing Roman off or his son or one of his dictators around those uh, around those doors. I'll never. It was an AGM, and it was no long after they appointed Graham Ricks, and the Hearts fans were howling their outrage. And we came out from it at the end, and it was Roman Roman off his son, and he had been just so dismissive of the fans, you know, looking down his nose at them, and the jambos were irate. And we walked out to the back of Tynecastle, the Gorgie Suite, and we walked out there. <laughs> There's two Hearts fans are fighting with each other. There's another two have got the Cossacks, you know, the Cossacks. <laughs> they've got, <laughs> and they're setting fire to them as they. <laughs> in the corner, the boy from the um, from the, the the what was it called the um, the Dickens Bar on Dalry Road, he's got his um, windies doing in the motor and he's uh, blaring out because Graham Rex. I mean, it's no funny, but he's blaring out <laughs> Gary Puckett and the Union Jack, uh, Union Gap, um, young girl get out of my life and. Neil Sedakis, happy birthday, sweet 16. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you can't get a story out of this as a tablet, you, 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 you want to chuck it, you know? So, um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, it was potty, but um, always interesting. So that was you coming back into the fold with the, um, 
mainstream media again and your first gigs the hearts guy basically then. First, first gigs the hearts guy but the great thing was is that you're um you're getting to do all these different events from all around the world. I mean, Mac Gafford used to come up to me, Austin, Austin Barrett used to come up and say, listen, Gary, go and do me a favour. I need somebody to go to New York for three weeks to cover the US Open tennis. You know, at the end of August, best time to see New York. Do you fancy going? You know, will you do me a favour? Like, all right. Um. All right then, you know. Um, or go to the Beijing Olympics, the London Olympics. I went to Beijing and big Chris Hoy, who's my favourite, of a Scottish athlete. So he's won three gold medals, first British athlete in 100 years to do it at one games. And so we've done, we've filed the story and we've said to him afterwards, listen, can we see you tomorrow to, for, for the for the follow-up? You know, we coffee. And I said, I need problem at all. He said, that's me finished now with the games anyway. So he says, come and meet me tomorrow. And um, so we meet some the next day. Now, a week before I'd been at a press conference involving the big swimmer, Michael Phelps, remember? Mm -hmm. He'd won eight gold medals. Even uh, Spitz and uh, 72 or whenever it was. Was that the year he turned up with the funny suit? Caused a bit of chaos with the fins or something on it? Aye, no, I, no it, it was, um, but he it, it, it was a freak because, um, in the nicest possible way, because he'd some like size 14 feet, he'd like arms that drooped down to the side of his calf, so he had a short body and long legs. So he was effectively a human fish. So he won these eight gold medals. And after he won the eight gold medals, he, um, you know, we were out there, it was about 400 at the, the news conference and some journalists for the Tennessee Times or whatever says to me, hey, you've done it, Michael, you know, after all this, eight, eight gold medals, eight swims, eight gold medals. What does Michael Phelps think about Michael Phelps? And impressive big guy, you know, and he strokes his chin and he gives us wonderfully erudite answer about how Michael Phelps feels to be Michael Phelps. And I remember that question. So the next day when Big Hoy's won his three goals, we're sitting having a wee coffee and there's only two or three of us there, just Scottish journalists. And uh, Hoy's a superstar legend love him great great guy and he says to so i says to him hey listen chris he says um you've won the three gold medals first british athlete in a year to do it in 100 years to do that at single games does chris hoy think of chris hoy and he just looked at me and he says big man he says see when chris hoy starts referring to chris hoy in the third person he says that's when chris hoy knows that chris hoy's disappeared right up his own ass <laughs> And in fairness to him, he started his autobiography. That's my claim to fame. He started his autobiography with, with a line, Gary Ralston from the Daily Record asked me a question after winning my three golds at medals at Beijing that have never been asked before and have never been asked since, you know. And you but stole it, was, it. And I stole it, aye. And uh, you got to go to the World Cups as well, Germany. I got to meet Dave King at the 2010 World Cup. I'll tell you this story. I'm in Johannesburg, right? Scotland, they're nowhere near the tournament, right? for obvious reasons. Hopefully things are about to change now. But anyway, so 2010, I find myself in Johannesburg for five weeks, right? And, you know, ourselves and the Irish used to laugh with the, uh, with the Irish boys because we were at the bottom of the ticket list, right? Scotland and Ireland are nowhere near the tournament. So the boys from uh, uh, Dublin and Donegal, they're tearing their head out as we are as well. So we're going to the occasional game at the Calabash, you know, that kind of stuff, the big stadium there that hosted the final. And um, um, so I say, oh, I said, Dave King stays in Johannesburg. So I says, um, I wonder if I can try to throw a kilt on this World Cup experience. Whenever you, you know, you, you hear a story breaking, you, you always say, can I throw a kilt on something? You know, can I get a Scottish angle? So I says, I'll see what I can find. So I was staying, for anybody that knows um, Johannesburg, I was staying in a, a lovely guest house just off the Ravonia Road that was owned by an old kind of um, eccentric English couple called Jenny and Roger. Beautiful people. And, uh, and they were all into all that kind of bridge playing, you know, and the golf and all that. So they, they were the expat community. So I went to Jenny and Roger and I says, you ever heard of a guy called Dave King before? 
don't think you have, Gary, but we, we, we'll ask around the circle. So sure enough, within half a day, they've come back and said, oh, yes, you know, uh, I said, you got an address? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Dave stays at number 39, Joe Bloggs Road, whatever the address was. It turns out it's the most exclusive, obviously, yeah. area of Santon. So part of the deal in sending me to the World Cup is that the record for um, insurance and safety purposes had to give me a driver. Right? Now this sounds like you know it's um, somebody with a, 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 a you know blue blazer and grey slacks and a, and a and a cap. It was nothing of the sort. It's a wee guy called Winston, and he's <laughs> kind of beating up you know Toyota High Ace Van or whatever it was. But Winston was like Winston was a legend. Him and I had a laugh together. You know, kept calling me Mister Gary, Mister Gary, Mister Gary. Says Winston, going to stop calling me Mister and just call me Gary. Okay, Mister Gary. You know. So anyway, so. So I says, right, Winston, I says, we've got a, I've got a, a job for us today. Well, I've got to go to Joe Bloggs Road up in Santon. I says, um, we're looking for a guy called Dave King. Said, okay, Mr. Gary, I know where Joe Bloggs Road is, right? So it's up to Joe Bloggs Road. And obviously, it's different gravy, right? I mean, Does he you know you're coming? No, he doesn't know I'm coming, right? I'm just going to what they call the, the journalist trade doorstep. I'm, I'm, I'm double wide, right? So I've just printed the, the Gallant Pioneers. Yeah. So I says, right, I'll take a, take a wee copy of the Gallant Pioneers. Uh, me, you know, is my, is my entry in. But the thing about this street, is that it's it's a kind of windy street, right? So it's not like a long street, Great Western Road, and there's number 39. It's all very leafy, and at every turn in the road, there's a kind of gate tower, you know, so obviously yeah. security's, security's high. And so um, so I say, it, sorry, I didn't even know the number, right? It was Joe Bloggs. All we knew is it was Joe Bloggs Road, right? So it turns up in Joe Bloggs Road, and I says, right, Winston, engine running, just move forward here. Here's number one. So he goes up to number one, gate tower. I'm looking for Mr. King. You know, guy looks down at me from his perch and says, no Mr. King here. So, okay. So then across the street, number two, I'm looking for Mr. King. No Mr. King here. Okay. Right. Cross road back in, number three, right? Winston's gone behind me in the motor and he sh starts shouting at the, at the window. You're doing it all wrong, Mr. Gary. You're doing it all wrong. I was like, Winston, listen, I'm the journalist, right? You just keep driving. I'm looking for Mr. King. You know, big, you know, serious military looking types. No, Mr. King here across the street, number four. No, Mr. King here. So, Mr. Gary, you're doing it all wrong. You're doing it all wrong. He's kind of crawling behind me. So, I tried about seven or eight addresses with, with these big kind of towers without any, um, without any joy, you know. And uh, so, eventually, I says to Winston, I says, Okay, Winston, what am I doing wrong? He says, What do I have to do? He says, Mr. Gary, he says, You have to do nothing. Just come and sit here. I says, what do you mean? He says, we do nothing. We just turned the engine of the car off. Right? And I'm saying, look, Winston, what are you playing at? Come on. I'm the journalist here. Well, let's try. We do nothing. And true enough, within two minutes, big right, four to four jeeps all up here, kind of machine guns and all that, right? Private security. What are you doing here? <laughs> oh, press card. I says, I'm, I'm looking for, for, for Mr. King. Number thirty nine, <laughs> in. and um, yeah, and and see, yeah, I'm I'm here, with Mr. King. I'm here, you know, journalist from Scotland. Oh, hold on, so on the phone. So he says, yeah, down you go. Oh, Christy. I think they take you in, aye. Aye, so he took me in, and he said, I think he had he'd bought something like four or five different properties and knocked them all down to create this thing. So we're going to do this drive. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding you. I'm halfway doing this at McDonald's, right? Is that that one we're pulling out for petrol, right? So doing this. And at the bottom of it, he's sitting waiting outside this French, you know, chateau type thing. It was magnificent. And I got out of the car and the only thing I could think to say to him was a shooky sand gave him a book and says, Dave, 
It's a long way from Castlewilk. Be <laughs> <laughs> that way for him, you know. But he was great. He says, he says, look, Gary. He says, I'm, I'm going to Port Elizabeth for a couple of weeks. I'm going to see some games and stuff like that. He says, but I will give you a call. He says, and I'll sit down and I'll talk to you. And this is 2010, you know. Um, and Martin Geisler, who's a pal of mine, Martin works for Radio Scotland now, obviously. And um, Martin's uh, Mrs. Teresa. Martin was the African correspondent for ITN at that point. Um, so Teresa, I, I got and told Martin, I says, I need a photographer. He says, I'm a missus photographer, Teresa. She's lovely. Um, so, uh, so, so she became a photographer, and Dave was as good as his word. It was a couple of weeks later, and he says, "Right, listen, that's me back." He says, "Come, come down tomorrow, and we can sit and have a cup of tea, and just at, at his home." And, and and he was gracious enough to invite me in and um, a, and 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 chat through what he felt, where he felt Rangers were going at, 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 and and going wrong at that time. A, a kind of good friend. I don't know Dave King particularly well. I've got cards on the table. I've not spoken to him um, really much in, in in my career. Occasional email. Certainly not since I left journalism, um, but it, it strikes me he's been a very, very good friend, but a, 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 you know, a, a, a bad enemy. You know, you wouldn't like to, yeah. um, you know, um, you wouldn't like to. I, I don't mean bad. I, I just mean like he's a guy that you would rather have on your side than than than, than against you. You know, yeah. it's kind of maybe my hope. I think that, and I think that the, the the signs are there that there's a better accord between him and Rangers going forward. You know, I, I think it suits everybody. He's such a significant shareholder. He either sells his shares to someone who's, you know, friendly to the aims and ambitions of the current board, or he you know, either stays quiet as a major as a is a is a is a chunky shareholding there, or that he somehow becomes involved again, but it's on uh, better terms than it was before. Yeah, I don't think uh, there are many people would have said that in the parts tenure that any it was pleasant. Mm. Um, there were stories coming in, getting planted for one side, and then saying we're not saying anything in the press, and Dave would react, and you're going, I can understand what you're saying here, but it's a lot of time you're thinking, do we need to do it? And but it, you know, as what it is, a guy. But, but, I, I do think that Rangers are pro. You might disagree with me, but I do think that Rangers are in a better position. Certainly under uh, you know, and and, and the, the, the Parks and Dave King, a lot of good. You know, Rangers wouldn't even be wouldn't have got fifty five without their without their support, without their benevolence. And I really like John Bennett. I, I see John a couple of times at the women's game because I know that he's a big advocate for the women's team as well. And I like John, and I think that James Bisgrove as well as the chief exec um, brings a kind of enthusiasm and energy to the position as well, which I think will. Hopefully, um, add it in good steps, and they're, and they're making some, you know, they're making some good moves um, behind the scenes there as well. In, in my opinion. So when you went back to 2010 World Cup, had you spoke to Dave King before this? Was this no, your first? I, I tell you, I'd spoken to him once before. Remember, he invested money in uh, into Rangers under David Murray, um, and I don't think I ever put him in the in the same room as uh, as David. Sparks would fly. He, he put in that was was I want to say it was 20 million pounds that he put in, and I managed to track him down with the help of da the the, the, the um, uh, Daryl King and I worked on it, and uh, we managed to get Dave at the. It was one of the grand New York hotels at the time, the Algonquin or the Warwick or whatever it was, and they, and he chatted to me then. But that was the only time that I'd ever ever really spoken to him. And how know? far previous was this? Well, that would have been under the Murray era, so that would probably be going back to maybe when did he put the money in? I mean, you tell me, yes. was it was it was it two thousand and four, two thousand and five, yeah. around, around about that period? It might even have been earlier. Um, but it was a, it might even have been earlier than that. It might have been the heyday back in the late nineties. Um, but it was a, um, 
but yeah, and then obviously I'm saying no spoken to Dave. Seen him uh, at various press conferences and, and and what have you over the you know from 2015 onwards. Um, you know, and he was always he, he, he was he was he was he was always entertaining copy as a as a, as a journalist. You know, I he knows how to write a headline. He would probably write them for you before he met you. I think there's some things that he would regret saying. I think that his his comment about you know one title and they'll collapse is um, or, yeah. or words to that effect. I think was ill judged. Um, you know, I, I think that that just poked a bear, um, poked uh, Dermot Desmond's um, um, uh, bear in particular. Um, and I know that two of them are um, you know know each other well enough through the golf. So I think that that's. But I think that the the, the the, the, the money that he's invested and the good that he and <clears throat> Douglas Park eh, have done for the club probably far outweighs any of the kind of negativity that, that, that may come around it. I'm just looking back there. Came a director 30th of March 20, 2000. 2000, there you go. Then yeah. invested 20 million of his personal wealth into Murray Sports Limited because yeah. they were the, the, the body at the time. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I got another guy, 20 million pounds a football club to lose it. Listen, a wise man said to me, um, there's only one way to make a small fortune for Scottish football, and that's to start off with a large one. You know, it's very, very true, isn't it? You know? Um, Yeah. Um, Something I I learned through that horrific time from 2012 onwards, and I think I could probably write a book on how to take over a football club with somebody else's money and talk absolute shite to them. Because the default setting for football fans tends to be if somebody tells me something good about my club, I'll accept it without question. If somebody tells me something bad about my football club, I'll ignore them. But see, I, I don't disagree with you. You go back to, you know, was it Michael Knighton that was playing keep you up in front of the Stretford end at Old Trafford? I was and buying it with somebody day. else's money. Yeah, buying it with somebody else's money. And I think that the financial frame, the, the financial framework of British football now is such that no longer are the clubs owned by your well-meaning butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. Still maybe the same in Scotland because of the economy of scale here. But if you look at the Premier League, you mean how many of them are owned now by 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 English um, owners? Maybe one or two. Maybe West Ham still. Um, I don't know. But but and it's so difficult when you hear of all this money coming in from 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 various sources to know. You know, even journalistically, sometimes trying to get to the. But when you're used to dealing with groin strains and hamstring injuries, suddenly being told that you know. Um, a, an individual of uh, substantial wealth from the Middle East is is willing to invest in your club. It's um, it can be a it can be a challenge to find out just how you know just how um, how how serious they are mm. and how much money they do have. Aye, no, but I think football fans. I know I kind of think Rangers fans are a wee bit away from the norm in terms of believing anything that they're told. But I still question sometimes. I think, why are you falling for that nonsense that you've just read? Um, but football fans in general have got this thing. But you're seeing about the upper echelons of, of English football. I remember talking to a, a guy who was just about to sign for Dundee United at the time. And I know there was speculation about other clubs that were meant to be looking at him down south. And I says, why are you... That? I says, I take it that story that was in the paper about you last week about that other club, wasn't you? It was a lot of nonsense if you are about to sign for Dundee United. Mm-hmm. This was a seriously wealthy club that aye, was just aye, aye, aye. a couple of divisions down. And he says, no, Dundee United are paying me more. I was like, how can Dundee United be paying you more? Some American guy had come in and threw some money in it. You've got the American guy doing it here. You've got, you know, so even Scottish football isn't immune to the, you know, it's, it's still the butcher and the local 
uh, Ironmonger and the guy that's, you know, the local hotelier just filling, even sort of, you know, getting to a second tier of Scottish football now is foreign ownership. But I think one of the, the, the times that I enjoyed most at the Daily Record in latter years was Stephen Gerrard at, at Rangers, in particular his European uh, trips. So I think the point at uh, Gerrard, you know, we've all got degrees in hindsight. I think it was a masterstroke, um, just in terms of a young, ambitious, hungry coach with a good um, background, backroom team behind him, a board that was willing to back him at that stage. Um, and I'll never forget, I was fortunate enough to do pretty much every one of those games, Europa League games and everything. And, you know, Stephen wore his heart. I, I, I don't um, make any claims to be particularly close to Stephen in any way, shape or form, but I did work closely with him from a media point of view for those um, for those three years or so. Um, and he was a guy who always wore his heart on his sleeve. You knew when he wasn't happy. Right? And but you knew when he was when he was chuffed to bits. I have never seen him happier, and probably more relieved, but happiness more than anything else than that afternoon in Ufa, when the nine men survived to go into the group stage of the Europa League. I think that is one of the most significant results in the modern history of Rangers Football Club. I really do, because that result meant everything. It gave him a bit of breathing space that he needed. It, it, it gave him the early credibility as a manager that he needed, that he guided Rangers all the way through the opening stages of the Europa League um, to get to the group stages. And, you know, it's, it's, it's in the book, to take Rangers to within being, to being one of the top, I think the 37th ranked club in UEFA. And I'm not saying this is a knock to Celtic, right? But Celtic had unfettered access to the Champions League in all the time yeah. when Rangers... Almost 10 years were, 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 were out or away for the top league or certainly nowhere near the power that they had been before. And yet they couldn't make enough strides, you know, that Rangers have overtaken them. That was down to Stephen Gerrard. And I remember the first game, that's a funny story, right? Because he couldn't go anywhere without being besieged by Liverpool fans. And that showed you the scale of the Premier League in comparison to, to the SPFL, right? So the first game that he's played in Europe, I'm sure, was in, I want to say it was in Skopje, right? And that was in northern Macedonia, Skupi. Remember that? Um, and so we've turned up at Skupi, and uh, it's about half past six in the evening, eh? UEFA's about to have the press conference. We've now got a word written for the, for, the, for the papers the next day, so we're up against the deadline because we're waiting in the press conference. We're waiting what Stephen has to say and James Tavernier or whoever the player being that interview had to say so that we could fill you know, our back three or five pages of the newspaper. So we're under pressure. We get to the stadium. There's about 30 fans outside all waving, wearing Liverpool shirts and wearing, wearing, wearing banner, waving banners and all that, right? So as is the custom, we get sitting there and there's maybe about 10 local journalists as well. And so they're all sitting down the front. So we kind of comes in the back, Andy Devlin, Mark Wilson, um, you know, or the, 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 the rest of the boys, Chris Jack and that. So we are kind of desperate to get the microphone so that we can ask our questions. But UEFA say, and as is custom, we will ask the, we have Mr. Stephen Gerrard here from Rangers. We have Mr. James Tavani here from Rangers. And uh, as is custom, we will invite the local media to ask questions first, right? So the microphone gets handed to this boy at the front row who's tonight, and he stands up, right? And he says, I refuse to call you Stephen Gerrard. And you're at the back saying, oh no, where's, where's, where's he going with this, right? And Gerrard's kind of like that. He says, because for me, you will always be 
Captain Fantastic, oh. you know, and this point being at the back saying, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, and Gerard, you know, dead humble, you know, oh, thanks very much for that. I have no question. That was that. The reporter says, the only thing I can I politely ask for a selfie after the press oh. conference is finished. And then all around them, all the other local journalists are all nodding as well. I don't think any of them are football reporters. You know, I just think they were all kind of, you know, maybe they were in the, the politics, but they just there to see Stephen Gerrard. But Stephen was great. As soon as the press conference ended, he says to them, right, he says, down here, the lot of them. One picture, me in the middle, we all you guys, and they were all delighted, you know, before they went out to the, to the training with the team and um, you know, and, and and they got their picture taken. But that was that was, you know, Stephen was like that with, with the fans. Oh. That day in Ufa, the game of the day in Ufa, there was about 40, 40 Liverpool fans. I mean, three years east of Moscow, and there's 40 Liverpool fans were staying again. I think it was a Sheraton. It was the only decent hotel in town, a nice wee place, but anyway. Um a, and there's about 40 Liverpool fans um, outside the hotel arriving and uh, when we arrived and they stayed there during the day as well. And it's to Stephen's credit that uh, it said to Alice, um, yeah, I think Alice works in Formula One now, doesn't yeah, she? she works, Alice was she the, works for uh, Red Bull. For Red Bull now. And Alice was the kind of media officer, comms officer at the time. And um, and after he'd done his prep for the game, it was maybe about two o'clock in the afternoon and he's up in the mezzanine uh, level, he says, Alice, go and bring the fans in. So Alice went downstairs and the 30 or so Liverpool fans, Russian Liverpool fans that were there, he brought them up into the kind of, you know, the the, the, the the function room that had been, the wee function room that had been given for Rangers. And he, you know, chatted with them and signed autographs and posed for selfies. And, and I thought that that was a, I thought that was a lovely touch. And I think that that shows the type of, the type of man um, Gerard was as oh, well, you know, well, very humble, very appreciative. One of the, the... But again, one I wouldn't cross, you know, no. just because he's, you know, he puts that a bit like water, you know, he puts that, puts that look in your eye, uh, catches you with that eye, you're like that. I've done something wrong here. Yeah. One of the stories that I can never forget, similar thing to how big Stevie Gerrard was, uh, Maribor later on, and I'm working for Rangers at the time, and it was the first European game. I'm sure, it was the first one I had to work. I had to go and help with security, help with stewarding in, in the game, and it kicked off outside the ground. And I never ever got my, my pass. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was chaos. The police, I, I nearly got arrested. I'm Rangers tie, shirt, lanyard, or to carry on. And, 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 and no, for the first five, time in the football, eh? Come on, you. Uh, allegedly. And uh, it was chaos. So, the game started. We eventually got all the bears in. And I didn't know where to go. And I actually sneaked in with a high vis on. And I went into the gate in the corner. And I walked down to the corner flag some. 10 feet away from the corner flag, and I'm burnt out. I've had a shift for hell. I left my house at two o'clock in the morning to go to Glasgow Airport to go on this flight. So I'm, I'm leaning against a, a railing, and I'm just end up surrounded by all these robocops. At this, you know, um, the corner flags here. And I'm like, I think it was either my son or one of my pals texts me, What are you doing in the side of the park? Right? And I'm like, I've nowhere else to go. I don't even know where the rest of the, 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 the staff are. So then it was either uh, Robert or David, Robin or David, the head of security, text me, phoned me at half time. Is that you doing it? What are you doing there? I said, I've need ticket, I've need pass, That's, I've sneaked in here. I don't know where to go. Come on in the main stand, I'll get you at the, the, the reception. Goes in, takes us up the stairs, and he puts us into one of the corporate lounges. So there's a couple of players there, Andy Smiley and all the gang are there. And you walked up, one, it was an open restaurant, Help yourself for a nibble. 
And then you went up to the seating area, and each seating area had a wee box with about eight seats. So you told me, go into that one, there's some staff in there. We've just signed Barisic, but he's no playing. So I'm standing next to him during the second half. And about the 70th minute, the, the stadium announcer says something. Rangers are making a sub. And every crowd, apart from the Rangers ones, I've heard this guy, the whole crowd burst out laughing. It was, a, it was bizarre. The whole crowd's laughing at this stadium, stadium announcer. And Barry she's just laughing. And I'm like, he can't talk Slovenian or something. Mm. I just don't understand that. He says, uh, it's a similar language. It's not the same, but similar. I says, what was funny? The stadium and announcer, Rangers are making a sub. And he's meant, and the subs, he's obviously looking down and seeing Gerard and wetting himself. The guy, right? Gerard's on the sideline. And the substitute for Liverpool is. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'm like, ah, is that, that shows you the. Aye. They, they did not see Rangers. We've got, we're playing three quarters of the game and the stadium announcer Maribor can he get Stephen Gerrard out his head and announced it as the, the substitute for Liverpool is. You'll maybe, you'll maybe know this story. I believe it to be true and I think it, it was it was either Ufa or it was the um, Spartak Moscow game when Rangers arrived in Russia and, um, and they were going through passport control and there was three or four of the big kind of Russian military types approach. You heard this story? So they've approached um, Gerard and they've separated him from the security and they've pointed him down a, a, a long corridor. And so Gerard, you know, is, is quite rightly a wee bit taken aback, but they've said, no, no. So it's like kind of one of these Eastern Bloc movie things, you know, where he's going down one corridor, dimly lit corridor, turn to the right and down another, and there's a kind of door at the end of it, and they're marching him into the door. And he's saying, whatever, what am I getting into here? And they've opened the door, and the whole wall is just plastered with Liverpool shirts. And the, and the military top brass <laughs> are pulled out. Sharpie. <laughs> and I'm told he was never he was never so pleased to sign as many shirts as he's leaving get back out of there. I saw something after that Ufa game that I've never seen before, never will again. Rangers had just beaten their team to reach the Europa League um, group stages. They were cheering the Rangers team buses that left that night. You know, the Liverpool fans are, you know, but all at the front, they're all cheering. You know, they'd yeah. seen Steven Gerrard. And in fairness, three years east of Moscow, you know, small small club, but great wee club. But, um, you know, to have an icon like Gerrard there was, um, you know, was obviously meant a, it obviously meant a lot to him. And what I liked about Gerrard is that he knew that, that not just Ufa, but other these other wee places, that it meant a lot to them as well, you know. So there was a, there was a real kind of humble um, nature to him. I mean, I, I remember I bumped into him when he was up playing against Rangers uh, when he was the 18th manager or 21th mm -hmm. manager of Liverpool and my office was right next to the away changing room mm -hmm. and I seen him coming in and out and just before the game, shut my door and I said, can I ask you something I've never asked the next Rangers player in this building? So I was that? can I have a selfie? <laughs> and it was Stevie Gerrard I just wanted to touch his hair and that. Uh. But the funny thing was, see, like, Weeks before he came, I didn't have a clue, right? And I've sent to a few journalists, and I even folk in Rangers, and I went, I've just been sent a photograph of the new Rangers manager and his assistant. His assistant Scottish. You'll know him. Do you want the photo? So I had three or four. four. Ah, no, you need to promise it never came for me. Aye, aye, he's it, right? Two minutes later, I was sitting drunk one night. It was a photo of me and Gerard for oh, a year later, right? Well, he signs two fucking weeks later. <laughs> He's like, yeah, bastard, you knew. And I'm like, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a clue. And how, you, you know what the press is like in the rumour mill and, you know, everybody's got sources and that. How did they keep it quiet? 
I don't know. I don't know. It, it, the one that astonished me a few weeks ago was this whole kind of golf. It was in the golf thing, you know, but the mm. live PGA. Mm-hmm. How the, the announcement just how came the out. announcement just came. Right. You know, sometimes they keep it. Sometimes they keep it a wee bit close. I, I I think that from a you know, and I was working there, so I take um, responsibility for not getting that. You know, everybody else. But there's so many different sources now for stories as well and the the the, sadly the 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 press in scotland is a result of economics is no longer the press that it once was you know social media has changed everything the um the decline in circulations inevitable decline in circulations has changed everything as well so the the press is a result the media is, is a result i think are probably a wee bit more compliant um, no one's really rocking the boat, and I get it because it's mostly guys, and it is mostly guys. I was a wee bugbear of mine that there wasn't more um, women in the, you know, in the in 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 the major newspapers, but it is mostly guys. You know, most of them in their late forties, probably, and um, you know, a lot of them. I'm not saying that they're hanging on, but it's really worrying times for them. That's why I decided to get out. I took a decision during lockdown. Um, Twenty. 20 it was the summer of 2020 that i needed to get a deal and, and just go out the record i just turned 15 i thought to myself no it's time to do something different you know because the the the, the, the i just i had this fear that you know you'd be three or four years and you'd just go through the motions or whatever and i'm a great believer that failure should never be as frightening as regret and so there was still something that said look you know go and and, and go and go and do something different go and scare yourself don't take yourself out of your comfort zone. Uh, and if it doesn't work, then, you know, you're a big boy, you'll survive, you'll keep out there and work. So, going back to the Gerard thing, just briefly, did anybody have an inclination in the press? Was there anybody, any whispers coming about, you know, that this was happening? Or Because I remember the day I turned up at Ibrox and I just got a phone call, you need to get down the front door because Gerard's getting in the building. I want to say that Andy Devlin had the story at the Sun. Did, did Andy have the story at the Sun? Um, was Andy brave enough to write it? I remember being told at the Express that Gascoigne was signing for Rangers and I was too scared to write it because I couldn't get it stood up and I didn't want to make an arse of myself. Um, so, but I think it's, I think it's on a par with that, but isn't it? I mean, I remember the guys are coming and yeah. you know, that was that was if you were signing level eight, this was a level 12. Oh, unbelievable. And there's and, and you're just no willing to, you know, and it's why probably the, the record did, you know, wouldn't go with the Mo Johnson story back in 89 as well, you know, because he, he couldn't get it stood up. And it's one of those stories that kind of can define a career positively if you can get it, but it can also define a career negatively if you uh, if you don't. But I think that the thing at that time as well is that Steve, the one thing I do know about Stephen Gerard is he keeps his business tight. You know, he's got a very close-knit group of kind of agents, advisors, and so on and so forth. Um, and 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 so that, and coupled with the fact that um, you know that 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 Dave and the Rangers board at that time, I think probably knew that, that it wouldn't reflect well on on them. Had word got out from from the Rangers side as well because they were keen to be seen as the the kind of ultra professionals that they were as well. So I think that that combination probably meant that the story stayed as as as, as tight as it did. And go back to the, the you're saying there about just too scared to take a flyer at something without standing it up. You were a journalist for a long, long time, and I would probably safe to say, 
no many journalists would maybe admit it. You probably do take a flyer now and again. That oh, story. absolutely, absolutely. My favourite, and he tells the story again. Sell up with Big Jim Black at the Sun. Jim's a great guy, and Jim was sitting in the office one day many years ago, and he was, <laughs> and he, uh, you know, under pressure from Steve Wilsoncroft, the 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 the, the, the Geordie sports editor, he came up with a back page, and so Block plucked from outside of his head. This is um, Tony Cascarino, who was at Celtic at the time, um, as a, tar a one million target for Chelsea. Great, that's the back page sorted. <laughs> And a week later, it happened, you know. So that's just the, the sheer uh, fortuitous nature of it. Um, and 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 we've all done it. We've all been under pressure. We've all done. There's nothing worse than a story that you know is ninety five percent right. That, somebody that, gets that, it before that, you as well, or, or either you don't want it, somebody gets it before you, or you get laughed out of uh, you get laughed out of, laughed out of court because it's particularly the the bigger the name it is, you know. Um, could be set to all those kind of Aye. couching terms that we use. Obviously, you're a Rangers fan, and you've never been shy of that. But you've got to put your professional hat on and write stories. So, although the Rangers fans, particularly in social media, think every story should be really, really good for a journalist about their, their football club, it's impractical. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a position where you thought, I don't want to write this, but I just need to write it? Is there any stranger stories that you were ever involved when you thought, this is a real horror, but you need to do it? There was a couple, a, a bugbear for me, and I've got to say that I think that home crowds, especially at Ibrox in, in recent years, the, the behaviour is, is markedly, markedly improved. I think there's still work to do on the road. Um, but I remember that uh, Wraith Rovers one night, it was a Friday night game, Back a few years ago, and the songbook wasn't good. Put that on the table. It wasn't good. It wasn't progressive. It wasn't where Rangers should be in the 21st century. Um, uh, it was awful. Um, and I could see the SPFL delegate speaking afterwards to the Rangers officials, and you could see him speaking to. And I knew what he was going to do. So I knew the delegate. So I went up to him and I says, um, "Singing?" He says, "Yes." He says it's in the report. And so, you know, that's that, that that's a story, mm -hmm. you know. A couple of times I fell out with the board as well. Um, eh, I remember getting a stinker a call from uh, Stuart Robertson um, for writing, I think it was me and the Jordan Campbell from The Athletic at um, Feyenoord had written that the songbook wasn't healthy that night either, um, and it wasn't. And you've got people who are saying, and this is no long after Rangers have had their stand closed down, you know. As I said, hats off. I think the atmosphere at, at, um, at Ibrox, particularly during the European Games last season, was, 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 was brilliant. And I like to think that we're, we're, we're moving on as a society, as a support. And it's not just Rangers that have got the issues. But, um, so there, but, there, but there are some times when you, you've, 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 you've got to be professional. You know, in terms of reporting what you hear, ultimately, it's no Rangers that are paying my my, my wages. It was Reach PLC, you know, and um, so it's 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 it, sometimes it becomes a question of a question of it, it was a story, and I have to say that um, there was other guys in the press box that night who also heard it, but who chose not to write it, and that's fine, that's fair. But I, 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 I thought it was appropriate and, and right that, that that we did. And because Jordan Campbell had Twitter and that, didn't he? He got, he got a stick for it. So was this the Wraith Rovers or the Feyenoord? This was about? the Feyenoord one. You know? I, was at that, I was working that game as well, but I can't remember too much of the singing because uh -huh. I was getting attacked by Feyenoord fans. 
It was, uh, it was horrible. We got attacked after the game as well. And I, I was mean, on the pub you remember? I mean, if you're looking, that's right. Aye, but if you listen, if you're looking for sympathy, you'll find it between shit and syphilis and addiction. You know what I mean? Somebody's paying you to go to watch Rangers play and find out, you know, that's right. You were there that night. Um, and they, and they cleaned him. But you know, the one that was, you know, I'd just gone to my bed, thankfully. But, um, but I, um, I went out for a cigarette. Aye. See, see that night, right? I finished my shaft, right? We went back to the hotel and, a couple of boys like half ah, they eat the shifts when they're up in the games is just chaos, right? And this is a McDonald's down the road. So we're walking down to the McDonald's and I've just saw the Hilton and I went, a couple of pals, I know are staying in there. I'm going to go in for a beer. And as soon as I walked in, I could have split that room in three sections. Mm-hmm. There was the journals, there was wealthy people, the, the corporates, huh? and there was a crackpots that I know, right? And I've walked in, right? And I'm looking <laughs> at the bar and I went. I think you came up with me right away uh-huh. and you were talking away to me about something and then and I'm looking at your shooter and I'm thinking, what uh-huh. that weird mix of people we've got in this bar right now? And then I went out for a cigarette and it was a wee pal I hadn't seen him for ages, wee doogie. I, uh, he's one of these just unintentional comedians and it just cracks me up. So I was about to talk to him and I've had that I was smoking at the time and a, a fag. And the young team, a couple of young team came out and they were like, I get fags. I get fags. I'm like, where do they get fags? I said, I'm Weird as it would be, see, this afternoon, see if you're in that turn left. There's a cafe in there. It's mm-hmm. got a vending machine and the same price as the shops here, doesn't there's no you're not gonna charge that money. Smashing bagging. So they went away and me and Doogie's having a third fag and I'm in tears at Doogie's stories because Doogie's just a crackpot with a good sense of humour. And the next thing the boys are running. Right, ah, Firewalls huh? coming, right? <laughs> and Doogie's well like that. He's looked at me, I've still got my what stuff on, right? He's like, you get in that pub and tell my pals. <laughs> right? So I'm coming into the pub. I know what's happening in the next five minutes. And I've eventually got one of them to listen to me because I'm like, oh, he's looking for you. Without trying to, with all due respect, of a journalist or, a, you know, I hear what's going on. I'm like, oh, he's out there. You need to go and get Doogie. You need to go and help Doogie. And one of them, what's up? And they've all flew out the door. And then the next 10 minutes I spent jumping in front of journalists that had their cameras out going, that's my pals, right? <laughs> it was just, the place just went mental for about 10 minutes. The Dutch have always been, I remember once doing a pre-season tour with Celtic actually, and I think, was it Vim Janssen's first season? Anyway, um, and Celtic played, I, I want it was a kind of, it was a Groningen type team, right? It was, it was a kind of um, Eredivisie team, but it was played for some reason on a public park. These often, not a public park, maybe like a wee juniors park or something like that. It's these pre-season friendlies that often are, you know, there's maybe about 200 people there, um, lovely night. And then around the corner came about, it must have been about 30 or 40, really, really tasty um, Dutch hooligans, you know, and um, and at the end, and they were they were real menacing behind the Celtic bench and that, you know, and, uh, and I don't know if they were supporters of the, the team that Celtic were playing, but one of the reasons that I've got great respect also for Malky Mackay is because at the end of the game, they made a charge for the Celtic players, you know, as they were walking off the pitch and the pitch was, they was up at one of the corner flags and big Malky was right at the front, he was, Throwing punches at him, he wasn't. He was taking nothing from them, you know. Yeah. And I would have been the same, you know. Scarping for the dressing rooms. Big Malky was leading for the front, you know, giving us giving as good as he got. And I thought, here, big man, you'll do for me. You'll do. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.